We're continuing our series on the book of Revelation, and last Sunday, we covered chapter 5, and in chapter 5, we heard of the account from the Apostle John, where he witnessed the Lamb of God in the throne room, the Lamb of God stepped forward and took this scroll out of the right hand of the one sitting on the throne, God the Father. Nobody in all creation, in heaven, on earth, anywhere was worthy to open this scroll but the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus. Now this scroll contains the history of all things when it comes to God's creation and his plan of redemption, as well as the coming judgment for Satan and those who reject God. Now, I thought before we head into chapter 6, where the Lamb begins to open the scroll. Remember, the scroll was sealed seven times. It's opened each seal at a time. So we're going to read about this. But before we get into that, I thought it would be good to spend a little bit of time on two events, the rapture and the tribulation period. So we're going to look at the rapture, and then we're going to look at a little bit of history that tells us about these this, this timeline of events and the tribulation period. And the reason I think this is important is because, first of all, these are two major events in, in creation's history. I mean, in the, in the future, but it will be history at, 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 at one point. But I also think that there's, there is a little bit of confusion and there is oftentimes questions that arise on these topics. For instance, the great debate on the rapture is the word rapture is not even in the Bible. Well, we'll get to that. Um, and even if you have some questions, hopefully those can be answered today. And before we even go any further from this, what I want you to hear from me, I, I, I kind of pepper this in every now and then, is how I read the scriptures. How do I read the scriptures when it comes to events like this? For instance, when I read the Gospels, I put myself in the story. I, I, I want to be a part of that. Who, who am I? Am I, am I listening to Jesus? Am I, am I in the group of the disciples? Like, what is going on? And I think that kind of opens things up a little bit. But, but I believe, I take everything in the Word of God as literal. Everything is literal. Now, I realize that there is some symbolism, especially in the book of Revelation. There is some, some, some symbolic things that John saw. But when you search the scriptures, you will find that there is a literal meaning to that symbolism. Okay? When you search the scriptures, the internet is a good tool, but the internet is not the final word of God. Amen? I mean, I can find whatever I want on the internet. I can scroll down until I find what I'm looking for to fit a sermon. Trust me, I can do that. But what I do when I'm using the internet is I want to find, I want three sources to agree before I even discuss it. And I do use a couple of, of, of websites. Bible Hub is one. Um, if you want to write that down, if you're at Bible Hub, and let's say you're looking at Revelation chapter 5 verse 10, and then just write commentary after that, and then Scroll down till you see the Bible Hub website, and, and it will have all the commentaries, the people who have like spent their lifetimes, theologians, studying the scriptures, all right? 
And then another more modern day one that, that I think is, is um, reputable is called Got Questions. Gotquestions.org. And you can Google that and you can, you can they, they have done a really good job, they have a team of people, of answering questions that we have about the Bible. And then, of course, there's other people, you know, there's books. I have some books on this study that we're doing in Revelation that I use. But again, if I'm using a book outside of the Bible, then I want to find some other reputable sources that agree with that. Amen? And then I'm going to find out in the Bible where it backs itself up. Because everything in the book of Revelation was prophesied in the Old Testament. And so we can, we, can, we can find where it was once prophesied. And even Jesus spoke of some of this stuff. So for me, everything is, is literal. And Scripture backs up Scripture. All right? Now, I also believe that the Bible is very specific and leaves no room for error. There is no room for error in God's Word. For instance, and, and, and when we talk about, because we're talking about visions and dreams and things like that, when a vision is given, it will say a vision. When a dream is given, the writer will say, I had a dream. Uh, for instance, John began the book of Revelation by saying, he is writing down everything that he had seen. I believe he saw these things unfold before him. And he had, sometimes it was Jesus, sometimes it was an angel that was telling him what these events were about to be. He says, I am writing down everything I've seen. And, and, and these were the literal events that he was shown. And what that tells me is he is giving us a report of God's word himself and the testimony of Jesus when it comes to these end times events. And the Bible, I believe, is very clear about the experiences that the writers were having. For instance, Daniel writes down, I had a vision. All right, the prophet Daniel, he had some visions. Peter, and uh, I wrote it down, it's Acts, uh, you know what, let me, just, let me just show you where it is. In Acts chapter 10... Peter has this, this scene, he goes into a trance, and he says he fell into a trance. And it was about whether or not foods were unclean, still clean for him as a Jewish person to eat. God says they're all clean. You can eat whatever you want now, Peter. Yeah. But he says he was in a trance. The Bible is very specific about that. Um, Joseph, in the book of Genesis, had a dream that he would be a great ruler one day, and his brothers got jealous of him and they 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 sent him off into slavery um ezekiel has a literal encounter with these angels these weird looking beings that had wheels and wheels and eyes and different faces and stuff they they came and they visited ezekiel it was a literal experience and then john of course what we're talking about literally saw these events unfold before his eyes so when I hear things about, you know, I read this book that, you know, somebody went into this, had this experience, and that's why he wrote the book of Daniel or something like that, I, I have a hard time. I want to find out what the writer in the Bible said, what, how, he, how he wrote down the events that he has, right? Because the Bible is going to tell us. So that's how I base my, my word studies from the Bible. Amen? And then... 
Listen to this. Some of us are very familiar with this, the first verse of this passage. In Hosea chapter 4, Hosea was a, an Old Testament a, a prophet. He says this, God says this through the prophet Hosea. My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Since you priests refuse to know me, I refuse to recognize you as my priests. Since you have forgotten the laws of your God, I will forget to bless your children. Interesting. My, and most of uh, the King James reads like this. My people are being destroyed for lack of knowledge. They don't know me is what God is saying. And he lays the blame on the religious leaders. This is God speaking through the prophet Hosea, and he's holding the religious leaders accountable because the people did not know him. And early on in the book of Revelation, it's Jesus going through these churches, giving an inspection report, and it is the pastors who are accountable for the spiritual health of their church. And that's why, for me, I feel like it's good for us to do this study in Revelation. We started this earlier in the year. We're going we're gonna, to, you know, we, we won't do this study during the Advent season. I think we should maybe focus on the birth of Christ. But when we can, we're going to keep jumping back into this so we get all the way through it. So we have some knowledge in our spiritual tool belts on what the future holds. But because the religious leaders of Hosea's day were not teaching the people, this resulted in a lack of love for God. There was no faithfulness or knowledge of who he is, and the actions of the people led to immoral living. Murder, stealing, adultery, the worshiping of false gods, sacrificing their babies to gods. It was so bad for the nation of Israel that God said, I am lifting my hand from you. I will forget to bless your children. Think about that. You know, sometimes when we don't have an answer to our prayers and we're wondering why God isn't answering our prayers, it's good to do some self-reflection. And it's good to know our family history because it is possible. See, God doesn't make bad things happen to us, but there are demonic spirits out there that if God lifts his hand from us, they're going to come in and we're not going to know it. We don't ever want God to lift his hand from us. I don't ever want to talk to Jesus face to face and him say, you know, you know Chip, your church doesn't know me because you're not teaching about me. And as a result for Israel at the time, they were conquered and taken into captivity by the nation of Assyria. And yet, because of his love for mankind, God would later restore the nation of Israel when they turned back to him. All right? He is a redeeming God. When we read the accounts of the nation of Israel, we can read them and go, why, were, why, why, why didn't they know that God loved them so much? They, 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 would, they would do these wicked things and turn from him. He would lift his hand a blessing from them, and then they would realize that he lifted his hand from him, and then they would turn from, to him, and he would accept them back into his arms again. And it was this endless cycle. Well, guess what? We aren't really that much different, are we? But God always welcomes us back because he loves us. And he is a redeeming God, and he wants nothing more than to see us redeemed and living a life with him. Amen? And so this is why we need to have a good understanding of the scriptures, so that we know. 
Now, let's talk about this, this seven-year uh, uh, tribulation period and where we will be as followers of Jesus at this time. So Revelation chapter 6 through 18 record the events of this tribulation period. We'll start that next week. I don't know yet if we'll go chapter to chapter. I'd like to maybe condense a little bit of it, but we'll see. Again, though, something I cannot stress enough is that as believers, we should see this time coming as a time of hope and rejoicing. And I'll tell you why. Because I believe that the Bible is very clear about a pre-tribulation rapture. So, so those who are living a life for Jesus, who, who, have, who have invited Jesus into their lives and are doing their best to live a life according to his ways, will be caught up in the clouds before the seven-year tribulation starts. Now, something very interesting that we will look at is there's a couple other groups of people who will be raptured up during the tribulation period. So it's interesting to note. Just keep that in your pocket till we get there. But what makes me believe, all right, that we are not here on earth during this tribulation period, okay? Because there's a lot of debate on this. I believe, number one, we can start with Revelation chapter 5, verse 13. We read about this last week. John writes, he's, he's in the throne room of God, and then he says this, and then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, they sang, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. This was as the transfer of power from God the Father was given to God the Son as the scroll was, was as Jesus, the Lamb of God, took the scroll. All of creation was worshiping Jesus, the Lamb. This is us in heaven giving praise and honor to God the Father and God the Son. And I'm wondering if Romans 8.21 has come to fruition where the Apostle Paul writes... The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. All creation is worshiping the creator. Now, this could also mean there's, there's another period called the millennial reign, which we'll, we'll get into that. But could it be that creation is joining God's children as they worship the transfer of power from God the Father to God the Son in Revelation chapter 5? Now, another reason to believe that we're not here on the earth during this time is because there is no mention of the church during this tribulation period. Revelations chapter 6 to 18, the church is not mentioned anymore because I don't think we're here on earth. Another reason is that Jesus gave a promise to the church in Philadelphia that is also for us to hold on to. He said this in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. He's talking to the church in Philadelphia, but these promises that he gave these, these churches in these letters that we, we looked at earlier are also for us as believers, all right? Because you have obeyed my command to persevere. Some of us persevere through our faith more than others. Some of us deal with heavier issues more than others. But when we persevere, when we dig deep, when we overcome uh, uh, um, behaviors when we when we overcome persecutions when we when we fight for our faith in Jesus when you because you have obeyed my command to persevere 
I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Now, nowhere in the Bible does it say that we are exempt from hard times and persecution, right? As a matter of fact, James wrote in his letter, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Thank you, James. <laughs> Peter even said, do not count it as something strange when you see all these things happening to you. Fiery trials and, st and stuff. As a follower of Jesus, you are going to have some trials. You're going to have hard times. We're not exempt to sickness, disease, persecution, anything out there. But as, G as followers of Jesus, we do have a Savior that will walk through us with these, during these hard times. So we're not exempt to that. We, we, we know this. Scripture is very clear of this. Even Jesus said, you know, you're, you're, you're going you're to have some trials. Even look at the book of Acts the disciples, and the apostle Paul. These guys went through heck for the gospel so that we, 2,000 years later, could have this book to read. People put their lives on the line, gave their lives up so that we could have this book to read. So we're not exempt from persecution or hard times, but I believe the Bible is clear that we should never Fear, this great time of testing. This great time of testing is the tribulation period, the seven-year period. Jesus himself gives us his word that he will protect us during this time. And I believe that this is where the rapture comes in at. Now, what's often up for debate is that the word rapture is not in the Bible. But we do see phrases like caught up together in the clouds, gone in the blink of an eye, things like this. So, which is the definition of rapture? To be transported, carried away, or caught up. Enoch was walking along and God loved him so much in the book of Genesis that he called him up to heaven with him. Boom, raptured right up there. The prophet Elijah his, his, his buddy, Elisha, watched him go up to heaven in a chariot of fire. I would call that a rapture. You want to hear another funny one? Philip. Philip was witnessing giving the, the testimony of Jesus to this Ethiopian eunuch. The, the eunuch gets saved. The Ethiopian gets saved. He gets baptized right then and there. And then... When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and he wound up like miles down the road in another town. He was transported to another place, raptured. So these events are recorded in the Bible. So why can't we be caught up in the clouds with Jesus like the Word of God says? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So let's read about this account. In Thessalonica... There was a group of people that, that infiltrated the church, and they said, hey, this Jesus that you're worshiping, you know he's already come back. You missed him. And they got confused. So the Apostle Paul writes this letter to them, and he does a little teaching on the rapture. And he says this in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. I think the Bible's pretty clear that we're going to be caught up in the clouds and meet Jesus in the air. Even those who have already gone before us will rise from the graves. And this should be an encouraging and comforting message for believers. We, we, won't, we, we, we won't be on the earth during this tribulation period. If we were to endure the tribulation period, okay, if we were, I don't think the Apostle Paul would have followed up this teaching in the next chapter, chapter 5, verse 9, by saying, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ not to pour out his anger on us. God doesn't call us into his kingdom so he can pour his anger out on us. You know, you know like, like that, that phrase that, that God's really got it out for me? You know, he, he's really just, just letting me have it. That's not God pouring his anger out on you. That's life. That's the world. Maybe you've made some decisions and, and God lifted his hand. Or maybe you just made some decisions. You know, sometimes, sometimes we're at fault, too. You know, and just things happen. And we got to invite Jesus in to help us through that. God did not call us into his kingdom to pour his anger out on us. Who wants to follow a God like that? So, and then in the church of Corinth, all right, there were some believers who were denying this resurrection of the dead. And so Paul Paul gives an entire teaching on the resurrection. I would encourage you to just, to just read this entire chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 if you're interested in this stuff. But listen to what Paul says in verse 51. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. In the King James, the word mystery is used. The, the reason he says secret or mystery is because this is something that has never been taught on by the Old Testament prophets. It's not like this big secret that, you know, Paul's holding on to. It's, it's just something that, you, that this is a new teaching he's saying. And it's a wonderful thing I want you to know. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. This is being caught up in the blink of an eye, meeting our Savior. Now, there are some trumpet calls that we're going to read about in, 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 uh, uh, as, as these, these judgments are being poured out onto the earth during Revelation period. These, th these aren't those trumpets. These are, these, are, these are trumpet calls up to heaven. But, but I, I believe, though, the phrase in, in, in that right there, it will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, 
refers to an instant change, such as a rapture. Now this, in Corinth, was written about four or five years after Paul wrote the letter to Thessalonica. And it's almost the same thing that he says. It is only through Jesus that we experience this victory of eternal life. There is no other way. Jesus himself said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. There are not many roads to heaven. There's only one road to heaven, and it is through Jesus Christ. Now, that's the rapture. So hopefully you got, you got enough to kind of chew on there for a little bit. Let's talk about this tribulation period that starts in chapter 6, and let's do a little history lesson. Does anybody like word problems, math problems? You know, like we're, we're going to do a math problem here, and at the end we're going to find out how many stops the bus actually made. <laughs> You'll see what I'm talking about. So the prophet Daniel, Old Testament prophet Daniel, um, he was given a vision on this very topic. And he was given like, like just these almost horrific visions that he didn't really know what to do with. And so while he's praying for the sins of his people, let's just read this. We're going to read it and then we'll break it down. All right. And, and again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So it might read a little bit different than the NIV or the New King James or, or whatever. But uh, Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 21. I'm going to read fast, but we'll, we'll break it down, all right? Uh, 9, 21. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision. Did you catch that? He had a vision. Came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given. And now I'm here to tell you what it was. For you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood, and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven, but after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and the offerings, and as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. I mean, that's pretty easy to understand, right? So, so in school, I was the absolute worst with math problems. You know, like, like the bus picked up four kids, it dropped off three kids, and it picked up seven more kids, and, you know, how many miles did the bus drive? <laughs> That's how I read those problems. Like, I may as well just turn in. I, I remember sometimes I didn't even have an answer. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't, you know, just couldn't get that stuff to compute. So, 
So right here, Daniel is given a very complex yet extremely detailed timetable of events of the coming Messiah, Jesus, and the end times. All right? So what we just read here was God's prophetic clock for the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. Okay? Now, in verse 24, the period of 70 sets of seven. Okay? Some of you might read 70 weeks. Okay? What does that mean? 70, how many days are in a week? Seven. 70 weeks times seven. 70 sets of seven equals 490 years. Okay? 490 years has been decreed by God for the Jewish people to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, bring in everlasting righteousness, confirm prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Some versions say the most holy one or the most holy. So that would be Jesus. And if, and if it is the most holy place, I would say that would be Jerusalem, where Jesus returns to set up his kingdom here on earth, and he will set up his throne in Jerusalem for the millennial reign here on this earth. And we'll get to that later. Right? 490 years ends with the tribulation period. Okay? However... In verse 25, God reveals to Daniel that the 490 years will be divided up into two sections. Seven sets of seven equals 49 years. Seven years times seven weeks each is 49 years. Plus 62 sets of seven equals 434 years. Okay? What's the bus driver's name? I'm just... okay. All right. So 49 years plus 434 years equals 483 years or 69 sets of seven. There's still one more set of seven in there. That Just kind of keep that in the back of your head. So the prophetic clock for the Jewish people started when the rebuilding of Jerusalem took place in the book of Nehemiah chapter 2. Two. The Israelites have been taken into captivity by the Persians, by Persia. They were in captivity, and Nehemiah was uh, uh, the cupbearer for the king. He was a Jewish, and he was a cupbearer. And he asked the king, you can, you can read about this in, in the book of Nehemiah, can I go back to my homeland and rebuild my city? And by a miracle of God, the, the king says, yeah, you can. So he allows Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the, the city. So the first, and he rebuilt the wall in like 50 some days. But it took 49 years to rebuild the entire city of Jerusalem. This is our first set of seven, 49 years. If you remember, it was, it was, bro uh, it was broken up into, are we on that one slide yet, Ben? It was broken up into, um, let's see where we're at, now I'm lost. The first set of seven is the amount of time it took Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem. After Jerusalem is rebuilt with streets and strong defenses, then we can start the period of 62 times seven. This is in verse 25. 
Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem. This second set, 62 sets of seven, is 434 years. This ends with the crucifixion of Jesus, appearing as if nothing was accomplished with the anointed one, the Messiah. It appears that the anointed one who God sent to the earth accomplished nothing by his death on the cross. When Israel, the Jewish people, rejected their Messiah and had him crucified, it stopped God's prophetic clock at 69 sets of seven, at 483 years, or 69 weeks, okay? So we are currently in what is called the church age. The church age began as, as the church grew in the book of Acts, the, the, the beginning of the church, and we are now in the church age for all the Gentiles to come to faith in Jesus. The time clock for Jerusalem, has, or for uh, Israel, is on hold right now. It's stopped. This is a time right now where, where Israel is on hold. And, and, and then in, in, in uh, Daniel 27, see, this, this is confusing, but are you hanging with me here? In verse 27, the ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. Now, this ruler is the Antichrist. He is a world leader, and he will make a peace treaty with the nation of Israel for seven years. Now, when this treaty happens, God's prophetic clock for the Jewish people starts back up again, the last set of seven. This is the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period that is to come. So when the rapture takes place, and the church is removed from the earth, chaos and confusion are going to sweep across the whole globe, all around the world. Millions of people, in the blink of an eye, in, the, in, a, in a moment, will be caught up to heaven with Jesus. Gone. We'll be out of here. And this will mark the beginning of the tribulation period. The last set of seven from Daniel's prophecy, the 70th set of seven or the 70th week. So the rapture of the church is one of the things that indicates the beginning of the tribulation. If millions of people disappear and you're still here and you're here today, remember this sermon. <laughs> There's still hope, <laughs> but hang on. Now, halfway through this treaty, so, so then the rapture of the church, and then you will see a world leader make a seven-year peace treaty with the nation of Israel, the president of Israel, whoever it will be at the time. That's not going to be a good thing. Because halfway through this treaty, three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation period, the ruler, the Antichrist, will break his deal with Israel. And that's what, that's what uh, Daniel was saying here. But after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings, meaning he's going to allow Israel, the Jewish people, to, to do their sacrifices and their offerings and the things that they used to do in the Old Testament. He's going to put an end to it. 
And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he's going to set up a sacrilegious object in the temple of God in Jerusalem. Now, many people say this has already happened. There was a, is it, is it Titus? There was a Roman ruler that has already done something like this. That was in 70 AD. We're all still here. There was no rapture. None of this stuff has taken place. That's why this, this vision from Daniel and this, this timetable of events is here for us to know. Now, okay, well, Chip, but, you know, Daniel, that's pretty confusing. I still don't know who's driving the bus. Jesus even spoke of this in Matthew chapter 24. I, I'm just going to piece two verses together. Jesus said, the day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. The sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. This is like going to be the worst ever. Ever. I'm, I'm thinking maybe he, he could be even taking account of the flood. I mean, the flood, you know, was pretty bad. But he says, Jesus says, there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. This three and a half years into the tribulation period is going to be bad. We want to be raptured out of here. We, we really do. Now, I just thought I would throw this in here too. Isaiah chapter 46. Listen to what God spoke to the prophet Isaiah. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Only God can tell us the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. I am God. I am the creator of it all. Everything, future events of this creation, of this world that we live in, is written in that book. Now, there's two very important reasons for this tribulation period, all right? As bad as it's going to be and, and, and as, as unsettling as some of the stuff we'll read in the weeks to come might sound, we're going to be reading about stuff that, that hopefully we won't be here on the earth right now. We'll, we'll be celebrating with our creator, with Jesus. But the first and most important reason is the salvation for God's chosen people, the Israelites, the Jewish people. This is their last chance to accept Jesus as their Savior. It's the only way that God is going to be able to get their attention. I mean, they nailed their Messiah to the cross. They had the Old Testament writings. They knew the signs. And they refused to believe in him. We will see in Revelation chapter 7 that also there will be Gentiles who get saved during this time as well. So if you missed the rapture and you're here at that time, there's still hope. And there's still hope to get raptured up before some of this stuff like really, 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 really gets bad. See, church, this is something that we must really understand is that God does not want to see anyone miss out on their eternal destination with him. But if I reject God my entire life and I raise my fist at him and I just rebel against him and his word and his followers and, and all of this stuff, why, why, why should I be allowed into heaven for eternity? You know, you know what I'm saying? 
Like, that doesn't make sense. Because why would we have to adhere to the word of God? I mean, we're all going to go to the same place anyways. But God never, ever, ever gives up on us. 1 Timothy chapter 2 tells us that God wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us that he does not want anyone destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. The only way to gain eternal salvation in heaven is to repent of our sins and to accept Jesus into our lives. And God, in this uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, it says God is, God is not slack in all these things. He's not taking his time. He has patience for us. He wants the most despicable person that's in your life right now to come to him. And he's giving them time. You know, here's another thing, too. Interesting. This is not in my notes, so I just thought of it this morning. We were at a Vineyard National Conference. Uh, Jay Pathak, our national leader, sat down and had an interview with Rick Warren. And Rick Warren was talking about some stuff and blah, blah, blah. And then so, so he was given this opportunity to, to be a part of, like, this worldwide missions thing. And so he, he couldn't actually attend this conference, but he said, you know, here, here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll be a part of it, and I'll help set some things up for you. And so he, 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 he got to thinking, what about the most unreached people groups on the planet? Because that's always the question, right? Like, like what about the person who doesn't, lives in the deepest of jungles in Brazil or, or wherever? How are they going to hear the gospel? Well, somebody has to bring it to them. They have to hear it from somebody. And so what Rick Warren did was, there's this huge room with, with all these missions and church ministries and stuff, and he sat in the center of this table, and he put the most prominent, biggest mission ministries on the planet at one table. And the goal was, he had a specific mission for them, was to go into the most unreached areas. And it was called Table 70, I think. So they were called, it's called the Table 70 Missions or something like that. But here's a, here's a man, prominent minister, who says, I want to make sure that the most unreached people groups get reached. Because, because this stuff isn't going to happen until everybody hears the gospel. And everybody is given a chance to accept Jesus into their lives. Amen? And that's what we want. We want as many people coming to us and we want as many people with us in heaven as will accept Jesus. And then this brings us to our second purpose of the tribulation period, and that is the condemnation of those who have rebelled against God, who have rejected and denied him. Of all the grace and all the mercy and all the chances God gives mankind to put their trust in him, in his son, there will be those who reject him and that rejection leads to eternity separated from him. We'll see where their judgment comes in at during, during, in the book of Revelation. You know, but, but their own lives will be a testimony to them. God doesn't say, you're going to hell because you don't like me. You were given an opportunity and you chose not to. And so now you will be, as you wanted, forever separated from me. So, in closing, even though these judgments being poured out, you know, during the tribulation period are going to be intense, they have a purpose, and that is a call to salvation. It's God's final warning for the Jewish people and for everybody else who has rebelled against him and rejected him. 
Those who are currently following Jesus at this time will be called up in the clouds to meet Jesus. And this should give us reason to rejoice. This should give us a hope in, in sharing our, our, our faith with others. God's chosen people who once rejected him when he walked the earth will receive one last chance to accept him. So, what do we do in the meantime? We'll end today's message with this passage from Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Here's what we do, church. This is for us. Starting in verse 8. Let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that, whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you already are doing. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, and then we'll take communion together. So Lord God, I, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you for your word, which is specific which is without error, which gives us hope, which teaches us. We have it all laid out in your word, God. And so I want to pray, Lord Jesus, for a couple of sets of people in here as we head into a time of worship. Those who are hungry for more of you. Those who are hungry to dig into the scriptures. God, that you would just pour into that hunger, God. And those who are just kind of like, man, boy, this stuff is, I don't know, it makes me nervous. God, that you would bring peace, that you would bring understanding to them as well, Lord God. And I thank you again, Jesus, for the fact that your Holy Spirit spoke through holy people of God to put these words on paper so that we could have them to live by and to have hope in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name.